Hi, my name is Dan. Hi, I'm Jenny. And this is Rookie Movie Reviews. We're watching the top 100 movies of all time as chosen by fans on IMDb. And today we watched The Shining, Stanley Kubrick, 1980. Jenny, what did you think of The Shining? Gotta say, this has to be one of the top 100 movies of all time. I agree. It was really good. <laughs> hey, wait, did you want to deliver the joke? I just delivered it on Back to the Future. Oh, well, I'll get the next one. You all deliver right. it so good. You're so good, too. And it's not a joke. It is true legitimate <laughs> opinion. It, it's going to feel like a, a bit of bile comes up in the back of my throat when we do it for Joker. Oh. <laughs> it's going to... We're going to say, what tongues. do you think? Ooh, it's... Ugh, the top 100. It's of funny. All time. And I'm tired of pretending it's not. It's a great meme. That's the meme. Um, so this movie opens. Well, I want to talk about this. Oh, well, <laughs> you can you can take the opening. I was just going to kind of say how this is the first of six Kubrick movies. Yes, good point. On the list. And we're watching all six in a row. Uh, not in one day or anything. In but, a row? Yeah. <laughs> Try not to watch any Kubrick movies on your way out. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we're going to, like, we normally watch a movie a week, six weeks. It's going to be six Kubrick movies, right? Is that... Yep, that, that math checks out. So, what I am kind of thinking is, and this is nothing really of substance, it's just something to say, uh -huh. but, wow, Pugsley is making a lot of background noise. Digging in his toy box, trying to get at the catnip residuals. Also, yes, we have a toy box for our cat. We have two toy boxes. And they're both filled with cat drugs. Yes. He likes to rifle around in them sometimes. What's really funny to me, some universal among cats, mm -hmm. cracks me up every time. If they're under a table uh -huh. or uh, you know, under a chair or something, and you make a noise and they try to peek under the edge to see what's making the noise. Yeah. You see their entire nose and whiskers and muzzle and just like a sliver of their eyes because they're trying to see what's going on and they think they're being super sneaky, but you see their whole situation <laughs> and they're not sneaky at all. And then if you raise the thing up a bit more, then they have to look further under the table and they look real doofy. So Pugsley's a big doof. Uh, six Kubrick movies. Um, what I was going to say is that... I think we're, th we're 13 or 14 episodes in, right? And I feel like we're watching all these good movies. And I feel like I personally am starting to get, I don't know, I feel more connected to the movie watching process, I guess, overall. Because we sit here and take notes. Yeah. And really look at it super close. And I'm really excited about this next six-week period. Sure. Yeah, because we're too. watching all sorts of movies. Um, some of them have the same director. Like, we've watched a couple Nolan movies and... For the most part, they've been standalone directors like of American History X and, you know, Zemeckis with Back to the Future and stuff. I forget who directs American History X, but the thing I'm excited about is that we're, we're watching six in a row of this master director. And I don't know how to just say it without sounding super snooty, but we're going to be watching these movies and to be able to watch movies that are from a verified master is really exciting. We're gonna. I feel like I'm gonna be watching these really closely to see 
what sort of um, what sort of tools does a master director use? You know, because a lot of these fear and intimidation from everything I've heard about The Shining. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> and um, Clockwork Orange too. Apparently, he was a real bastard. I believe it. I. I just, I've heard all the horror stories about his filming of The Shining, and I just assume that that applies to how he films everything. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I. <sighs> but we'll uh, this is all to say, get ready for some bullshit ass pull remarks. Ass pull? Oh, pulling from your ass. Pulling from my ass about how something is shot or how something strikes me, because I'm going to try and put on my, my snobbiest film critic glasses to... Figure out what the hell is going on with these movies. I'm going to be like a sophomore in film school. Oh, that's a perfect analogy. If it was put to film, I would write a note about it and bring it up in our movie review podcast on how it is insightful and a very thoughtful inclusion by the director. (laughs) Tony K. Oh, what? Tony K. directed American History X. Tony K. I have never heard that name in my life. I wonder if he's directed anything else. Topic for a different... If American History X comes up on our, like, breakdown of the whole list, when when we ever reach that Is that point, the 101st episode? The the breakdown, or, like, our respective top fives, or I something guess. like that? Sure. I think so. We should do something like that. Lists that's are always fun. Idea. They're very yeah. listenable. I mean, we love lists, apparently. That's what Schindler's List is about. Jeez, Dan. It's always writing lists. Have you ever seen that bit? <laughs> From Life is Short? With, uh... I bet you've seen it, and I'm just explaining it poorly. Uh, it's a show with Stephen Merchant, Ricky Gervais, and Warwick Davis. And uh, the show is called Life is Short, and there's an episode where they get they get Liam Neeson to come on and talk to him, and he wants to do stand-up comedy. And they say, well, why would you want to do comedy? And he's like, well, I'm very organized. I'm I have seen lists. that yes. bit. Thank you. <laughs> is, that, is that Gervais? Yep, Gervais, Merchant, and Warwick. Who are the two in the Mitch and Webb show? That's David Mitchell and Jez. <laughs> I forget that guy's name. <laughs> Probably Webb. Yeah, something Webb. Mark Webb. I was uh, thinking of Mitchell Davis for the place of Ricky Gervais. Yeah. Because they, they look similar. And they're both British. They're very bug-eyed. I don't think anybody is as bug-eyed as David Mitchell. <laughs> I guess. I guess not. So anyway, you want to take the opening here. I got very it. excited about it because it's like a trope shot. And yeah. I'm a real horror movie fan. I really like horror more than is probably good for me because it gives me nightmares very easily. Same. And this iconic shot of a car driving through the woods, I think, was a really good opener because it is definitely a movie about what isolation does to you. So this lone car driving through a mountain range. It does pass some other station wagon, but that's neither here nor there. Also, I was really impressed considering this movie was filmed in 1980, or probably 1979 and released in 1980. Right, because it was filmed for a year. Right? Also, neither here nor there. They probably used a helicopter, and that was a very smooth opening shot. They didn't use a drone, I don't know, and it wasn't like CGI. Yeah, no, so. and I wonder how many gallons of helicopter fuel were used up knowing Kubrick's uh, penchant for reshoots, you know. And it was a gas crisis. Jeez. Was there a gas crisis in 79? I don't know. I don't look at any of these with historical context. (laughs) Really? 
these movies. I think it's important to. I, I feel like as far as context in was this released, because this was released uh, a year after Aliens, you know. Um, Alien. Aliens, wasn't oh. it? Well, what maybe. We have the list right here. What is it? I can't Alien. read from here. I can't get up. Punchley's on my lap. Let me look at my notes. This is faster. This is faster than slightly sitting up. Um, I didn't write down the date for Aliens. Ugh, oh, Aliens isn't in this notebook. No, I'll have to slightly sit up. Oh, it's, it's right there. <laughs> it's the third third bottom is okay. Alien. Third bottom. Third. Aliens is 1986. Okay, and then Alien is 1979. So third no, row from to, the bottom. I need to find it. What? Third row from the bottom. This is Aliens. That's Aliens? Yeah. Oh, fuck. Um, Alien, 1979. Okay. Ridley so, Scott. Ridley Scott. <laughs> Alien. We've already Listeners, done this. you are welcome. So, a year after... That's the context I look at it on. Like, oh, what it's a year after... It's a year after Alien, so... Alien! It, yeah. That's, I, I singularized that one. We'll be able to hear it because we're recording. I'm editing it, so. <laughs> it's your narrative. Alien. History is written by the victors. But as far as, you know, was there a gas crisis? Was the Cold War going on? Yeah, the Cold was War there, was going on until 1986. Cuban Missile Crisis, all that shit. <laughs> the Missile Crisis was in I'm the I'm just 60s. watching movies, dude. Did you pass I don't know about history? Any of that. <laughs> was, was it? It was history. I'd be AP history for our non-Midwesterners, right? I, I think that's the comparison. I think international baccalaureate implies that it is not just limited to the Midwest. What if it's, you know, how the Super Bowl declares the world champs and it's just the <laughs> U.S. football teams? Or America's Got Talent and all they do is the United States of America. Yeah. They don't shit about Canada or Mexico. Or South America. Yeah, South America. I'm not going to list all of those. Um, Bolivia, Paraguay, Argentina. Peru. Don't forget Peru. Peru, Brazil. I'm pretty sure that's all of them. <laughs> so, yeah, these sweeping shots are awesome. And Ecuador. The music <laughs> is really unsettling. Oh, yeah. I think that's very Kubrickian. Yeah, that I... I'll I'll be able to answer if that's Kubrickian or not in six weeks. Six weeks? Oh, yes. Well, I mean... A whole shitload of I movies. feel like next up is probably Clockwork Orange. It doesn't have I to be. I mean, I it could know. be anything. I don't have a preferred order. Uh, the only Should one I've it? seen is Full Metal Jacket. Or have I seen it? I don't know. I don't think I've seen any. They're, they drink milk? Yes. Milk and, with knives. Um, Alcoholic milk. I guess all I really remember is the house invasion scene. Yeah, singing in the rain. Mm -hmm. I, apparently, that was improvised. And the, wow. The, the director told the actor that they needed the director uh, Kubrick. Yeah, <laughs> he told um, Alex. Isn't it Anthony? Anthony McDowell. No, who is Hannibal Lecter? That is, he's from Westworld. No, those are different actors. Hannibal Lecter and the guy from Westworld are the same actor. White guys all look the same. What am I no. talking about? <laughs> Where's my phone? Oh, um, this is a phone one. Well, now it's killing me. Because who are you saying Hannibal Lecter plays in Clockwork Orange? The main guy. No. No way. I'm going to look up Clockwork Orange quick. 
So Clockwork Orange is direct is directed by Kubrick. Uh-huh. Malcolm McDowell. Oh. Plays Alex. I think you're right. Oh, these guys do look so similar. Can I see? Yeah. So this is the guy who um, plays Alex. Okay. And the guy. So keep that image in your mind. Okay, got it. Locked and, then, and loaded. I'm just gonna look up Silence of the Lambs. And the guy who plays Hannibal Lecter is Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins. God, our listeners are probably killing us for that one. We should probably edit this out. They no, do look similar. They look shockingly similar. <laughs> so I thought, because I was thinking of Anthony Hopkins when he was playing Hannibal, you know, uh-huh. that age. And then <laughs> and then uh, Alex oh. <laughs> and uh, Orange as he's a... He's a boy. As an movie. old man, yeah. And it's like, those guys don't look anything like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, They're like 40 years apart. Uh, that's Anyhow, really funny. super freaky music in this opening sequence. Yeah. There, There's these weird vocals uh-huh. that I, I'm still thinking about. They're like weird, ululating shrieks. They're really freaky, and they come up multiple times throughout the movie. All of the music is so oppressive. And uh-huh, I'd agree. Oppressive. Scary. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, it's a horror movie. Yes, a good one. I've never read The Shining, I think. Me neither. And I haven't finished Duma Key yet. <laughs> the other <Yeah>. classic <laughs> King novel. That, that should be priority numero uno. <laughs> <laughs> that is it's so no. good. <laughs> Green Mile? No. No. Shawshank? No. Duma Key. Duma also, Duma Key is huge. I know, and I started reading The Grey House, which is this Russian translated book that's, it, it seems like it's going to be House of Leaves-esque. Yeah. Sounds awesome. I'm I'm really excited for it. I'm only like three pages in because I'm a piece of shit. Uh, You're a piece of shit because you don't read all the time? Yeah. That's not true. Exactly. Anyway, we get to see Jack. What is his last name? Torrance? Torrance. Yeah. The Torrance family. Thank you. The Jack Torrance has a meeting with Mr. Allman, who is the proprietor of the Overlook Hotel. Yeah. The head honcho, I guess, is fair enough to say. He's got an office in a hotel. Top shit. And we find out Jack used to be a school teacher, but apparently hasn't been employed for like two months now. That's what it makes it seem like. And they talk about how lonely it can be up in the mountains of Colorado. They also, in this scene, talk They talk about the sense of isolation yep. and how Jack's cool with that because he, he's a writer and he wants to write. Mm-hmm. And also, he brings up now the horrible murder. Yes. Yep. Uh, yep. That uh, happened. And this Charles is bizarre. Grady. Charles Grady, yes. Which I think is... I, it has to be intentional for later on. But, and I have an idea about this. Oh, I can't wait to get yes. to there. Okay, so we also meet... Do we meet Dick? No, not yet. No. Oh, you know what? He's cool. I don't mean to backtrack, but yeah. just for context, the right. reason we're making a big deal about Charles Grady is because later on in the movie, if you're at all familiar with movies, you're probably aware that The Shining turns into a shit show. <laughs> uh, and when it turns into a shit show, he finds a guy in the bathroom who is named Delbert Grady. And they're two different names, and it can't be a mistake... I'm sure there's a lot of theories, but I came up with an idea without watching a documentary, Room 237, which we're going to watch after this. Yep. Which I'm excited about. Yep. But oh, that's that's all the context that I wanted to get out of the way. Uh, okay. Just why we're talking about No, that's about great. Charles. Um, so it seems he got the job. He did very well. Uh, well, wait. <laughs> we cut back to Wendy and little Danny. Danny. And they're eating sandwiches. 
Which yeah. is essential. We also meet Tony, the mother. I, I knew more about the trope of Shelley Duvall being totally bonkers in the movie. But watching the movie, she plays a really good mother and matches all of the manicness that is happening in the movie really well. I think the over the the level of her wackiness in acting is overstated, I think. Yeah, definitely. She really I think kills she, it. I I have never heard that she seemed crazy, like over the top. Oh really? I I've felt that was that. common. I thought a lot of people are like, Yeah, Shining is great, but Shelley Duvall goes too much. Like she's I, I thought about Jack Nicholson a lot, how fucking insane he seemed, his goddamn eyebrows. Yes. Yeah, his goddamn eyebrows. Those goddamn eyebrows. Fuck you. <laughs> and your eyebrows. <laughs> what is that from? Breaking bad. When he quits oh, Bogdan. the car walk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fuck you, Bogdan. And your eyebrows. Yes. Thank you. Anyway, uh, we meet Tony, who is a finger. He's also a little boy that lives inside Danny's mouth. Creepy. Mm-hmm. Super creepy stuff. And we uh, learn that he has some kind of prophecy ability because when he's in the bathroom, Tony says that uh, Jack's about to call to say he got the job. Mm-hmm. And so it is. So it is written. So it shall be. And then he has... I'm rushing into the vision he has. No, I'm excited to talk about it. Of this blood gushing out of an elevator into a hall. Yes. And this scene is iconic. Truly. And it is terrifying. It's bizarrely silent and the music comes in and... uh, Oh, man. It is just so good. It splatters up on the wall. And it's like everybody knows this scene. And... It is so good. <laughs> I love sending this gif when I'm on my period. <laughs> A gif of that scene. Yeah. It's um it's very it's very usable for all sorts of things. Just uh, periods. Just periods. This is a feminist podcast. Actually the movie ruins <laughs> the period gif. <laughs> because now now whenever the period gif comes up, it's like just reminds you of that super Intense, sad movie. It's like, well, kind of ruins the fun of the gif. Anyhow, this is... You think The Shining's sad? Well, there's... I think uh, there's tragic elements, you know? Well, I guess... I guess I always take horror as not tragedy, but I suppose in some ways it is. If we're looking at the whole thing... Wow. ...as an allegory for alcoholism, which seems to be the main... I thought it was an allegory for the Native American genocide. Yes. I think both... But, well, okay. I okay. think it leans more into alcoholism as a main theme. And I think the whole message is, hey, uh, Jack, a former alcoholic, current alcoholic, because you're always an alcoholic, I guess, and you're struggling with it. Thank you for that uh, call out there. So Jack is an alcoholic, and the whole movie is about him uh, losing control and ruining his family life through, you know, his actions. So, yeah, okay. I guess through that allegorical lens, it's really tragic. You I know, guess. He loses. He succumbs. I have an issue where I take stuff at face value. I don't think that's an issue. I think that's I a valid way to watch a movie. Couldn't be a, I couldn't be a true film critic. Hmm. I'm trying right now. Hey, how about for the rest of this podcast, let's try a couple ass pulls. <laughs> Test out a few ass pulls. See how it feels. <laughs> Maybe you'll like it. This movie is actually about feminism because the female role of Wendy... She is constantly downtrodden 
and she gets made to be the cook, the cleaner. She brings Jack breakfast in bed, and he's accomplishing work, which we found out, find out is empty. It's not real work. And she's been doing all the true caretaking. And at the end, she breaks free. It's a movie about feminism. I don't disagree with any of that. What? My ass. So cold. <laughs> you took a bunch of elements from the movie that have textual support. This is why I was saying we should write essays. Yeah. With outlandish themes. That would be fun, but... It has to be three pages, single-spaced, 12-point font, it's due on Monday. Just think of the, the time sink and... Can I get an extension? Can you get an extension? Do you want an F? Well, you know, my, my, cat, my cat's been sick. Uh, our son. Acting weird. Our person. Our cat. Our okay. <laughs> Let's get out. So the interview... Nobody cares! <laughs> the interview concludes... What? We're already to the blood gushed hall, man. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I, I got my notes wrong. So blood gushes through the hall. A doctor is checking on Danny, who... A lady doctor. A lady doctor. More credence to your ass pull. So, lady doctor. Doctor. Just say doctor. <laughs> <laughs> lady doctor is a doctor. A man is playing catch with his son, and his son gets hit by a car, so he rushes him to the hospital. And when he gets there, the doctor says, I can't treat this boy. He's my son. How is this possible? Gay dad. <laughs> was, I was going to say that. I'm like, should I say that? Is that joke too, uh, too much? No, it's 2020. Gay dad. It's very pro-LGBT. That's, that's really funny. Um, also... That's so nuts that they couldn't operate on their own son. Who else is more invested in the well-being of their son? You know? I don't know. No one than the parent. But I guess, I suppose, if it's a irrecoverable injury and well, like, son if you, dies. Well, if you accidentally, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. you're killing yourself. Yeah. There's no, there's, there's, <laughs> there's no way out of there's it. There's no alternative. It, it's like uh, Harry from In Bruges. Like you kill a fucking, you kill a child, you put the gun in your mouth. That that movie's not on this list. That it is be. some horse shit. Good thing we got Joker on there. <laughs> Fuck. That's just the easiest one to pick on. Yeah. I guess Dark Knight Rises also. Yeah, I I don't like I, I'm not like I like Batman, but I like the cartoon Batman. More. Yeah. And so uh, Danny faints, and a doctor checks on him, and the, this is cool because I kind of knew I've seen this movie once long ago. Yeah. Same. And, and I think I saw it on, like, TMC. Yeah, so censored. Heavily edited. So I knew that Dick Halloran was going to explain The Shining to Danny eventually. Yeah. And I forgot about this scene where the doctor takes a psychic event and explains it in medical terms and says, you know, this happens with some kids. Totally normal. Nothing is going on. Just ignore it. If it happens again, let us know. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of cool to see, oh, this really shows that no one is prepared for what's about to go down. Like, Ooh. they can't reckon with this psychic ability until they until Danny meets another psychic. They have no way of uh, explaining it. So Very I thought good. it was a neat little uh, insert. That's a good ass pull. Thank you. It's a textually supported ass pull. Yeah. Well... I think this scene's also really good because it talks about how they moved from Vermont, so they've been here two months. And Tony, since nursery school, has been doing the weird... Well, Danny has been since nursery school having Tony. And um, 
how a few few years ago uh, his shoulder got dislocated, and we find out it's because Jack pulled him way too hard, mm-hmm. which is I I was a shit when I was a kid. Yeah. Never got my shoulder dislocated. Yeah, no. And it also specifically happened when Jack was drunk. Oh, true, true. True. And that's the other... So, in this scene, he says... She says it's uh, five months sober. Yep. Never touched another drink. And later on, Jack mentions how he hasn't had a drink for, like, two years or something, if I recall. And I felt like the timelines were mixed up in when he's in the gold room. Maybe it felt like two years. That's a good point. It might just be his editorializing of how much he's suffering for his family, you know, Ooh. maybe. But okay, okay. So yeah, uh, Jack uh, Jack dislocated Danny's shoulder uh, due to being an alcoholic. Yep. And then the family gets together and they're driving off to Colorado because Jack got the job. And they talk about the Donner Party and cannibalism, which this must have meaning, but I don't know what it might be. I feel like it's just to show. My my opinion is that Jack is talking about cannibalism. Also in this very scene, Danny says, I'm hungry. And Jack says, you should have eaten breakfast. Deal with it. And Wendy says, we'll get you food as soon as we get there. So it's immediately setting up this antagonistic father, really caring mother. Okay. And also he starts talking about cannibals, which, you know, I have no... Like, the kid is aware of it because of the TV. Like, Jack is already pissed. You know, did did you get the vibe he was yeah. super annoyed in his car ride? I don't know if that was just how Jack Nicholson acts or if it was how it was supposed to be. We we <laughs> talked about this um with there's a scene later on where Danny goes to get his toy. Yeah. And we were talking about this how he looks terrified and in the context of the movie it's really good because the kid would be terrified of his dad. But is it maybe just because the kid's a shitty actor and he doesn't know how to emote at all? And he's just falling into this great role? Uh, but, yeah, it's okay. there's a couple moments like that. Okay. So now the family's in the hotel and they... You meet Dick, actually, now. You also see the two girls right away. Yeah, they, they're getting the tour and Danny's playing in the game room. He's playing darts and he sees the, the twins. Having a darty party. He's having a darty party. Okay. Um, this podcast is just shitty references to things we hope you know about because we're not going to explain them. These are fantastic, relevant references. I, I decline the shitty references label. Okay. Great references. Anyway, watch Letter Kenny. Okay. So we also meet the meat. We also see the hedge mage. Hedge. He- oh, God. Hedge maze. Hedge. Hedge mages are in. Um... <laughs> Game of Thrones. They have hedge mages and they're like shitty magicians. So Okay. It's not just uh Now we can put a Game of Thrones tag on this bad Yo, boy. Game of Thrones, <laughs> Letter Kenny, Breaking Bad. What was the other one? Search engine optimization, I think. What? What was the other show <laughs> reference? I I I the only one I remember is Breaking Bad. We'll know when we go back. Yeah. And listen. Human memory is five plus or minus two. And I very frequently find I'm at the minus two. <laughs> yes. So they tour the hedge maze, or they walk hedge by it. Maze. The hedge maze. This is where the proprietor, Mr. Almond, mentions specifically that this hotel is built on a Native American burial ground. Yep. And also Native Americans attacked 
the construction crew and got in fights over the construction multiple times. Mm -hmm. In 1907. Yes. And the hedge is almost as old as the hotel. One one point about this that kind of stood out as far as like laying the groundwork of future conflict and just the whole feeling of the movie. They go into the living quarters Mm -hmm. and he says, here's your room, here's for the boy, here's your room, bathroom. And they say three or four times how it's really small and he keeps saying it's really economic it's really cozy cozy yeah and then jack and wendy are like "Hmm, cozy and it's like you said with jack's general behavior is he (laughs) fucking pissed or is he just that's how he is but i thought this is just leaning into there with all of this space there really is no escape like even the living quarter is so tight and immo- like unmaneuverable, it's it's set up immediately. I also didn't think their living space was that small. Oh really? I felt like it was tiny. Really? Yeah, because their the one bathroom looked really small, and they had one small. They're mm, okay. Also, the fridge was in the bedroom. I I don't know. I our our apartment right now is pretty big. Oh. But like, I don't know. That's fair. I, I it seems serviceable. Maybe I just thought it was small because the characters just kept saying cozy, tight, economic, homey, and visually you can see, ah, that's not really the case, but... Okay, I... It it probably is supposed to be really small because the whole tight pact that you... Like, tensions are higher when space is smaller to share Mm -hmm. between people. But Danny got his own room. Yeah, and it looked big. Yeah, I guess they're living... I don't know. Like, the bed seemed like a full. Yeah. Eh, whatever. Mm. That headboard was aesthetic. It was, yeah. I liked it. Okay. Moving on. Moving on. We get to... Oh, the dock thing. Yeah, Dick is touring the kitchen with Wendy and Danny. Yes, and he calls Danny Dock in the store freezer. Yes. Which had a lot of meat in it. A lot of meat. Which, I don't know, probably means nothing. I wonder, are they getting paid to do this? Is is the Torrance family getting paid? Because they have full reign, you know, free board, I yeah. assume. They basically say, we have hundreds of pounds of meat. You can have it all. They make no inclination as, like, you're limited on this number of rations, which would be boring to film. But also just saying, we have 50 chickens and 30 steaks and all that. Yeah, I was, I was thinking... <laughs> Why not just have sirloin every night, you know? Yeah. They have 50 sirloins, and I was doing the math in my head. How long would that last? Yeah. <laughs> well, probably the kid doesn't eat that much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they come back in May, and they're like, what the fuck? <laughs> really? You ate all of the steak? No chicken? Yeah. <laughs> I don't give a fuck about chicken. <laughs> While they're in there, Danny looks at Doc. Dick. Dick. Doc looks at Dick. And Dick is talking to Wendy about the numbers of stuff they have. And he just makes eye contact with Danny and says, you like ice cream, Doc? Like with his head. Yeah, with the shine. With the shine. We're like, okay, more more psychic stuff. More stuff. Doc does like ice cream. There's also like some weird screaming, too. Oh, I don't recall that. Oh, that's fine. I'm sure it was It's before the ice cream, but... 
Uh, maybe I just noted it as screaming when it was just the ambient music because I'm so sensitive to sound. I have a coworker who must have a really good mic because her voice picks up a lot better than everybody else's. And every time she talks, I have to like pull my earbuds out because oh, it shocks me. Because is it louder? Is it just such good sound that you're like, I can't, <laughs> God, stop it's, it. <laughs> it's just louder. I don't know. I'm really like, I have to cover my ears when ambulances pass. I promise I don't have Asperger's. Um, no, <laughs> yeah. that's one of the things with Asperger's that you're really sensitive, sensitive to. Yeah, I'm, I could be. Um, you just autistic. you just have sharper hearing. Yeah. I don't, though. I can't hear you when you're trying to talk to me from a couple rooms away. I mumble. And me too. Shining. So Doc gets handed off to Dick because Mr. Ullman wants to show Wendy... Some other woman thing. I don't remember. Uh, he just needs them both okay. for some reason. All right. So Dick plays babysitter, and he talks a little bit about The Shining. And we find out about Tony, and he's this boy that lives in my mouth, and it's it's like a secret. He can't tell his parents. Yeah. I just realized with the doctor scene, uh-huh. the doctor is asking Danny all sorts of questions about Tony. He lives in his mouth. Does he tell you to do things? And as soon as she says, does he tell you to do things? Danny says, I don't want to talk about Tony anymore. But as soon as Danny is talking with this other psychic individual, I mean, Dick is asking all sorts of questions. And he's super open about all of them and every specific thing that we see. And then it's kind of funny because the the power dynamic shifts. So we're looking at Dick as the guy. He's older. He's been a psychic for longer. He probably has some answers for Danny. And then Danny asks about room 237. Yes. And Dick is visibly off-put, and he says, I'm not scared, you know, I, I just don't go in there, you don't have business being in there, and he's like, you are scared. And I thought this was such a cool moment of just putting down another layer of inevitable doom to the movie. There's there's a lot of evil in the hotel. Yeah. Uh, Dick says, some places shine, some don't, this place shines, and not everything's good, you know? Being very open with this kid, but I thought it was good, like adult handling child acting. Yeah, yeah. He he speaks very kindly. Yeah, yeah. I like this scat man. Scat man brothers. So then we have a well. They they leave like Mr. Ullman. So they're left. The Torrances are left to be the family, and we cut to a month later. And this scene, like it's just good filmmaking. Wendy brings Jack breakfast in bed, and it's shot through a mirror, and it I just really liked it because it really twists around your perception of what's happening, and I got really thrown off. I actually made you rewind the movie because they're filming through the mirror, and then Wendy sits down and she's talking to Jack, and then they come out of the mirror to film, and yeah. that probably has symbolism to it. But it it was just cool filmmaking. I think stuff that people any kind of mirror trick, where you can't see the camera or crew is always like ah. To me, I always find it really impressive. Yeah, this is also step one in establishing Jack being disconnected from his family. I never realized this before, but that scene where Danny goes to get his fire truck later on, mm-hmm. and right now, so it's eleven thirty a.m. Yes. And she brings him his breakfast, and he's obviously pissed about something because she says, oh, maybe you can 
we can go take a walk. He's yeah. like, no, I have to write. And she says, oh, well, you know, maybe you'll outline some stuff. He's like, yep, that's all it is. Like, he's super sarcastic, like, that's very sweet of you, honey. Like, you don't know anything. And also, he's not getting up until 11.30 in the morning. Yeah. And later on, we see that Danny can't go get his fire truck, even though it's midday, because Jack is in there sleeping. He just went to bed a couple hours ago. Yeah. So... They're already starting this thing where he is going to bed later and sleeping in longer. And then by the time shit hits the fan, mm-hmm. uh, he is basically a nocturnal animal. And this is all like Danny and Wendy are daytime. He is sleeping in their room in the dark. And it now is the first step of that. So I never, never noticed. But she's waking him up at noon for breakfast. So it's a very slow burn into this total disconnect, right? Wow. Wow. That was a rectum pull. Thank you. That was really good. I really like that. I want to ask you questions. I want to ask you questions. Oh, what was the movie Jack Nicholson was in where he just did a bunch of coke? He's older. The Departed. It was The Departed? Okay. Yeah, he says, don't move until you're numb, and then he just throws a shitload of coke in the air. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> That's a departed. Oh, man. That was also on this list. Yep, we watched that one already. I think about Jack in that way in this movie a lot. The older, skeevy guy? Yeah, I just think he's really he's really creepy. In the intense eyebrow scenes, I kept His thinking eyebrows. of that scene from The Departed where he's like, I smell a fucking rat, you know, and just yeah. makes this weird rat, skeevy face. It's a really weird, expressive so... dude. Yeah, he's super expressive. Oh, he doesn't seem constantly angry in The Departed. No. So this is, he's supposed to be constantly angry. He's an angry guy. This man needs to learn Zen. Yeah, he needs to meditate more or something. What what were you talking about yesterday? Just. The concept of stoicism. Yes. He needs to learn the concept of stoicism. Things don't outwardly bother you and then by the time, then while that's happening, you yeah, yeah, reconcile with them internally, and then they, you just deal with it, as far as I can tell. I did no reading on it. Seems good. Okay, so after this... Got Wendy and Danny playing around in the maze. Yeah. Because Jack is busy writing. Well, no, he's throwing a ball as hard yeah, as he's he can. he's busy saying he wants to write so he doesn't have to be with his family. <laughs> Dan, I have to go write. <laughs> <laughs> And then on the news, well, they're in the maze and they're running around and Danny's a little ball of energy. There's a neat little detail here. As Jack's throwing his ball there in the maze, he walks over to the model Mm -hmm. of the maze Mm -hmm. and is lording over it. And we get this crazy shot from above where they're in the center as Jack looks over the model. It's just very much this overlord type presence. Yeah. God. You should have been a film student. Um, then there's some... Wendy is making dinner. She's got, like, this huge can of fruit. That doesn't matter. What matters is there's some exposition here. She's listening to the radio or the news. And they talk about how the search for a missing woman might be in trouble because there's going to be a lot of snow. And the snow happening, I think, really kicks some stuff off. But, um... Is this before or after... Danny tries to get into 237. This is right before. So right after is him and his tricycle trying to get into 237. 
But the door is still locked at this point, and then we cut to Jack typing, and I thought your point here was really good. I for oh the fact that because the big twist at the end is that he's just been typing, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy, and it's his big horrifying reveal. And the fact that he's typing this early, he's already typing that. Yes. So this guy is already fucked at this point. Um, so it's kind of scary in knowing what happens that, you know, Wendy comes up, he snatches a paper out of the typewriter real quick so she can't see because he knows he's doing some weird shit. And he basically just freaks out on her about how, you know, you're distracting me if I'm ever in here. Don't come in here. Uh, all that sort of stuff, and basically just being a massive asshole. Yeah. So, pretty good stuff. And, uh, yeah, so you're distracting me. Great line. Yeah. Wendy and Danny are playing outside now, because further distancing, and we just... This is a super short sequence. But Wendy and Danny are chasing each other, and then we just cut to Jack looking out the window, yeah. just totally glassy-eyed, and it's a... Really long, slow zoom. So it's shown that only two things happen. We look at Wendy and Danny running around, and we look at Jack staring. Yes. But we watch Jack staring for like 40 seconds. Yeah, And too it long. is really ominous. And he's got these tiny little movements. And these eyebrows. He looks so evil. He's got so much eyebrow. Yeah, the, the <laughs> slow zoom is really good, and the eyebrow. Okay. I mean, we joke about the eyebrows, but it makes right. him look like a fucking devil. Yeah. Okay, so... Snowstorm, the twins again. Now you know shit's up. Uh, so this is when Wendy tests the phone lines and they're down and she oh. radios. Because the twins again, are you talking about the like, the twin scene? Yeah, maybe. So there's a snowstorm. Wendy can't get through anywhere. Or she's having a hard time. And um, it, it's not scary yet. It's not like I'm afraid of Jack yet. Yeah. But uh, shit's starting to hit the fan. We see shit ramping up to hit the fan. Because we see the tin twins scene again. Uh, play with us, Danny. Play with us. Yeah. Um, and it like cuts to the murder back and forth. Yep. Yep. And then um, I wrote down, you wouldn't hurt us. That's because uh, Danny goes to get his toy when Jack is asleep. Oh, okay. And he says, you wouldn't hurt us. And oh, this is the wooden acting. Do you want to talk about that at all? Well, we touched on it already, um, okay. but what is key here, plot-wise, yep. is that Jack says, did your mom tell you I would? You know, did Wendy say that I would hurt you? And so we see that there's a resentment over, and even more so later, but to backtrack real quick to the big wheel scene, yep. I wanted to say that I thought it was pretty cool how we see him riding on his big wheels twice prior to this. Mm-hmm. And the third time is when we see the twins. And we've seen it before, but I know that... I knew that he would be big wheeling, come around the corner, and there they were. And then we see him murdered, and back to normal, murdered, back to normal. So the first time we saw him big wheeling, I'm like, oh, this is the this is the scary scene. And it wasn't. And then the second time, I'm like, this is definitely it. But it wasn't again. And then the third time, it's like, oh, fuck, the twins. <laughs> so... With that knowledge, it's kind of like, well, that's pretty clever for them to get us used to him riding around. It normally leads to nothing. He's just exploring the hotel on his wheels. And then the third time is uh, he sees murdered ghosts, you know, right. so it's this massive shift in what we're used to. But 
Okay. Yeah. After that, is uh, he meets his dad in the room and asks, would you ever hurt us? One thing I want to point out is that earlier when she met Dick, he said, oh, you were introduced as a Winifred. Is that a Winnie? And she's like, actually, it's a Wendy. So that's an example of Jack trying to take her identity from her. Another that's a good pull. That's a good point, though. <laughs> that, that's got a lot of that's that's uh, got some credence to it because totally steals the intro and calls her something she never goes by. You know. That's, yeah. That's a good point, Jenny. For as much as you say it's a pull, I know we've established it as pulls, but that's nice. Yeah. No problem, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> Now 237 is open. Oh, shit. Oh. Uh, <laughs> it, it stuck out to me because he sees the twins and they say yeah. play with us forever and ever and ever. And then when he goes to talk with his dad, uh, he asks if he like. Danny asks Jack if he likes a hotel. And Jack says, yeah, I love it. I want to stay here forever and ever and ever. And uh, I think at that point, Danny realizes things are going wrong. But... I didn't. I've never noticed that before, but uh, I'm fucking screaming about that. That's yeah. such good insight. Yeah. So the the hotel is in Jack at that. You can point. cut that scream out. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, you're welcome. We're screaming. Okay. So you're amazing. You're so insightful. This is why you went to school for writing. Okay. Uh, two thirty seven is open. Um, in a nightmare. Of Danny's, right? I don't think it's a night. I think it's open because the sequence is super quick. Mm-hmm. So 237 is open and we see Danny walk up to it. Right. And we assume he goes in. And then we cut immediately to Wendy working the boiler room uh-huh. and checking all the gauges. Mm-hmm. And she runs out of the boiler room. So we'll just to cover the sequence quick. Danny approaches 237. Wendy's in the boiler room. She hears Jack screaming. She runs up to Jack in his writing room. And wakes him up and he's had a dream about oh. murdering them. Danny comes into the room and he's got bruises on his neck. So he's hurt. He actually did. Okay. He actually went to 237. Yes. And he tried to fuck that old woman. <laughs> yeah. He... <laughs> Gross. <laughs> um, what? <laughs> I, was... I was not expecting that. <laughs> Apparently not. Uh, I'm gonna um, get another beer. Yeah. Um, before you go, real quick, I want to point out uh, that the fact that Wendy is in the boiler room right now show because that's what Jack was hired to do. Yeah. Right. So another feminist pull. Feminist pull and relating to the whole alcoholism allegory because she's picking up the slack in his life that he cannot cover because he is incapacitated. So this job that he was hired to do, which he later rubs in her face, like, I signed a contract. Do you know what that means? But it's totally irrelevant because she's doing his work for him. So um, I think this showing her doing all the work and checking the gauges, which he was specifically hired to do, is both, like you say, a point of feminism and also a point of him being incapacitated, which is probably tied to his alcoholism. Where do the Native Americans come in on this? You know, I I don't have as much of an opinion on that. It's, it's all visuals. <laughs> anyway, we'll see the silence here as we get more beer. Wendy works a boiler room. Feminist icon. Feminist icon. Jack has a nightmare of murder. Danny walks in with a bruised neck and Wendy Are you telling Jack. me you're going to cut out that old woman sex joke? 
No. Okay. I'm just recapping for us. So, when Danny walks into the room with a bruised neck, Wendy picks him up. We see the. I love the. The just the. I think it's called the blocking, yes. where characters are placed. Yep. And she's so far away with Danny, and Jack, and Jack is in the foreground, and they just flip between. They're so far apart, and she slowly looks over to him and says, "You did this to him." You hurt him, you son of a bitch. How could you? And it's this big moment of like bringing back how he dislocated his shoulder and how he's he's passed out on the desk right now from exhaustion, but also the imagery of that, of him just being like totally discombobulated from a nightmare and all that. She's blaming him for hurting her son again. And he's completely caught off guard because he didn't do it. Uh, it was a ghost, but... <laughs> it was a ghost! Ooh, this is key. He goes down to the bar pretty much right after this. And we we heard this on another podcast, but he's sitting at the bar and he says, I'd give my soul for a glass of beer. Yeah. And the other podcast pointed out that this is when he sold his soul to the devil. Stuff was ramping up before this, but this is the true pinnacle. And now it's on the flip side. Yeah. Um, and we see... Floyd, the bartender, who is obviously a messenger of Satan. <laughs> yeah, he looks fuck it. He looks almost as devilish as Jack Nicholson. Right. Does. And then uh, he gets a beer. He gets a glass of beer, and then we pan out, and the bar is full of people. No, it's not. No, not yet. It's I'm still sorry. empty, and he's drinking bourbon on the rocks. Yo, okay. Yes. I'm very bad. At, I'm just so excited. Yeah. I have I a glass. Am, of beer. I am excited too. I also have beer. <laughs> Love it. So, bourbon on the rocks. Gets bourbon on the rocks, and this whole time he's he explains the to Floyd to Floyd the the circumstance where he dislocated his son's shoulder yep. because he had a few, and the little fucker was uh, throwing his papers around, and he had just one moment of muscle coordination. Is and he's excusing his actions so much. And also this whole scene, I forget his exact line, yeah. but he calls Wendy a sperm bank and he he is really just blaming her for everything he's done. Like he's putting all of his actions, uh, he resents her for it and how he is taking these sacrifices of not drinking and how he's taking all of his burden on for her and because of her. So we really get insight into how much Jack fucking hates his family and <laughs> thinks that he could be so much better off without him and he's just unloading this all onto what's the guy's name the bartender floyd floyd and later on he says it to her face in an argument but right now is just kind of the inkling of how much he resents his life i think this is important to call out danny's a tiny kid like he his face comes up to a door handle right now yeah and when when the act, the incident happened, uh, Jack says three years ago. So there is no reason to use that much force on a kid that small. Yeah. So this is. I'm glad you wrote down the number of years mm -hmm. because when we saw Wendy talking to the doctor, she said he's five months sober. Yes. And he said that if you know after this he's never going to touch a drink. Five months sober, and then in this scene he says three years ago is when he did this. Right. So it's like what you mentioned earlier. Is he 
exaggerating for Floyd of how good of a boy he's been, you know? Or are timelines really fucked up in his head or what? Like, what's going on? Maybe he doesn't think beer is alcohol. Some people have that. Maybe, yeah. And it was the 70s, 80s, 70s. Who knows? Anyway, times are messed up. Uh, He gets his Satan beer. Yeah. And then we cut... <laughs> I love I love Dick Halligram cuz he's got these naked ladies all over his apartment. Yeah. He's just in these awesome pajamas watching the news. Sort of like silk robes. God. In a bed with a canopy. Fuck yes. <laughs> he's he's just hanging out watching the news. Yeah. Swear to god there was incense burning and there must have been. chanting. He's having uh, a real dark liquor or something. Yeah, just living the life. <laughs> What happens is that Jack sitting in the gold room, Wendy runs up and says, there's a woman in the hotel. There's someone else here. She heard oh, right. Danny. Yeah. And then Jack gets up and goes into 237. And as he enters, Dick is laying in the, oh, the his pajamas. And he has this horrible psychic vision. He's like, there's shrill music. And this is a big detractor for me. And it's just this high-pitched shrieking. And it yes. goes on for ages. Very Kubrickian. Yeah, it's <laughs> it, it's it's bad and it's yeah. like unsettling. It's off putting. Yeah, that's the point though. It's supposed to be a thriller. But the the music in the beginning was off putting and scary, and it didn't pierce my ears. This is like <laughs> well, shit's hitting the fan. This is what it sounds like when shit hits the fan. Okay, so Jacks in two thirty seven. The door is wide open. Because he's going to try to find the woman who scratched up Danny. And there is, in the bathroom, this huge bathroom, a naked lady who's in the tub. And she slowly climbs out of the tub. And then she just stands there, like a magnet, apparently. Because Jack goes, he does his creepy Nicholson face. <laughs> and then he goes up to kiss her. You're, you're married. You yeah. don't know this woman. Is it Beelzebub? Perhaps. Yeah, maybe. It could be the... I don't know the... You know how horror movies have... They establish what tier of evil we're dealing with in the movie. Like, yeah. sometimes I'll be like, oh, the dad killed his kids and then himself, and now he's a spirit haunting the house. And then yeah. sometimes it's the devil. Yeah. And I don't really know, are we dealing with Satan and the forces of evil? Or are we dealing with... Some malicious ghosts. Yeah. I don't really know. It's just vaguely but... evil. Yeah. Uh, maybe if we had read The Shining or Duma Key. <laughs> there might be answers in Duma Key. He does a lot of interconnected universes. Uh, <laughs> um, it's probably not the devil because Stephen King doesn't really do Judeo-Christian stuff. That might not necessarily be true. Maybe. I mean, I, I don't have a. I feel like he makes his yet. own fantasy up more than relies on... Christianity. But we do, yeah. I think, like, being in the United States, in Wisconsin, like, you and I have this, like, the devil's evil, so anything evil is devilish. Yeah. So, um, we... Oh, oh, oh! Sorry. What's up? Well, I was probably going to say what you are exactly going to say. I don't think so. I was very excited to talk about how he's making out with this naked tub lady and she turns out to be rotted. Yes. Okay, you say it. Um, they're making out with a naked tub lady, and I, I was 
probably because I've also only seen censored versions, but the full frontal nudity, including vagina, bush stuff. I think the bush is its own censorship. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I suppose so. Self-deficient. I thought when we were watching the movie, I actually, um, I actually thought that her nipples were pixelated. Oh, really? Yeah. Like I, I, maybe I couldn't focus on them from that far away. But they're making out. He sees in the mirror that she's rotted on the back. Yeah. He backs up. She's horrible rotted. We see like a dead body rising from the tub, intercut with that same dead body chasing him out of the room, laughing. And he just locks it in there. Now, am I crazy or were these laughs? It was not someone recording their laughter for 30 seconds. It was three different laughs looped. Did, did that, <laughs> I didn't. It stuck out so I much. I'm like, this that. sounds very much like the last loop. But, yeah. So Jack goes back to the room, claims that there's nothing in 237. And he says Danny did it to himself, which Wendy is incredulous at. And says that they need to leave. And Jack just pops his top and says, every time I get something good in my life, you fuck it up. But you're not going to fuck up my life anymore. And he's super mean and storms out just horribly abusive to Wendy. And he goes back to the gold room because that's where he got to drink, you know. He goes back and there's a big old party. Now is when we see it filled with people from the early 1900s, mid-1900s. And uh, he gets another drink. Yes. Uh, During this time, we also see red rum getting written on a door. And Dick calls a police officer up in Colorado and says, the police officer says he'll check in and he'll call him back in 20. Red rum is not yet written on the door. So he doesn't, like, he's not, red rum, red rum. Not now, but he, he does write it before the like we should go scene i feel like because when he writes it he writes it twice oh really i thought he only wrote it the one time because i had written down that he's saying it yeah he also says it yeah so like i have tony is saying it yeah i have it written like three separate times well whatever red room shouts it and then at the very end is when he writes on the door and Wendy hugs him and sees, you know, murder in the in the reversal. This this is shit in the middle of the fan anyway. So we know for sure that a ranger is going to try to get in touch with them in a few. And this is when a butler, Jeeves motherfucker, spills avocat. Yes. Uh, avocat is spilled all over Jack as he's in the... What is room. avocat? It looked like... It looked like mango lassi. <laughs> <laughs> like... That for if you're wondering what is avocado, it looks exactly like a yogurt mango drink. I assume it's some sort of weird booze for rich people. Rich people booze. Okay, so Jeeves spills it on him, and Jack he doesn't seem that worried about it. But as they're going into the bathroom, he's like really degrading to this butler kind of guy. Oh, um, what? This is also kind of funny, based on your. You know, deal with the devil type. Mm-hmm. Give myself for a glass of beer. Here he comes back to the gold room, and the butler or the the bartender says, "Let me give you a drink on the house." And Jack says, "I'm the type of guy 
He likes to know who's buying the drinks. And the bartender says, that doesn't concern you just yet. Satan! Yeah, so it seems very much like some supernatural shit is going on. Yeah, good point, good point. Anyhow, like you were saying, spills good out answer. the cock and they go, <laughs> they go to the bathroom and he's talking down to them. Yeah. Uh, that was a Family Feud reference, which we're also going to tag on this episode for family SEO reasons. Phenomenal. Is th- this isn't representative of me. This I'm doesn't represent me. Buzzer off. It's always sunny. Hashtagged. Okay. Another tag. SEO. Okay. Okay. Um, and then we find out that this Jeeves guy is Delbert Grady. Delbert. Delbert. Dan, do you want to talk about the point you would have made earlier? Yeah. So they're in the bathroom. He's Delbert Grady, right? And they get these names wrong. And for all the attention to detail and the fact that it's such a... Not not even that Kubrick directs it. Just the fact that it's a fully-fledged movie. Yes. They would not get these names different on purpose. No. So there's something up. And in my opinion, what happens in this scene is that Jack hears the name Grady and says, Hey, you were the guy that killed your family. And Delbert is like, no. Delbert, res- Delbert Grady resists this label three or four times. And Jack just keeps saying, yeah, you are. You had a wife and two daughters and you chopped them up. And Delbert's like, no, that's not me. And he's like, yes, it is. So they go back and forth like this. And then eventually, Grady just starts talking about how he had to correct his daughters and how he had to teach them a lesson and all that because they wanted to burn down the Overlook. So he turns evil throughout the scene. And I think what it is, is that Jack heard the name Grady and it wasn't the same person. And he wanted it to be someone that he could talk to about murdering their family so bad. And he just told them this over and over. So the spirit just became exactly what he was looking for. It doesn't really matter that it was a different name. He just... You know, it wasn't this spirit corrupting him and teaching him how to murder his family. It was him telling him that he was going to murder his family and kept pushing it until the hotel was like, oh, this dude's evil. Let's get that going. You know, like, let's help him be evil. So I think the different names is just to show that it was never the hotel. It was just that Jackson evil dude that wanted to murder. Oh, my God. You. Mm. Damn. Damn. Damn, boy. (laughs) Anyhow, they drop the end bomb in this scene, and it's super <laughs> abrasive. Yeah, it's like holy shit, they both dropped the end bomb. Oh man, yes, yeah. I I wrote down n word yikes. Yeah. So those are my thoughts on it. Uh, uh, bad. Okay, so then we cut back to Dick again, and he is calling around, and he gets in touch with his friend who's up on Colorado Way, about a five-hour <laughs> drive. And he's trying to get a snowcat because he recognizes that to get up into the mountains, he needs some special equipment and his friend has it. Serious storm. He gets his connection and we know that the stakes are maybe a rescue will happen for Wendy and Danny in about five hours. So stuff's hitting the fan. Five hours is a long ass time. And um, a little bit after this, Wendy walks into Jack's working area yeah and discovers those pages yes 
this yeah. page after page of all work and don't play makes Jack a dull boy, typed in all different formats. It's a freaky reveal. Yeah. And for as freaky as it is, she she keeps looking <laughs> and keeps looking for much longer than you think. She she lifts up a handful of pages and they all say it. I eventually would have been like, yeah. through them, right? Like, rifle through them. For just real? them all at once. Huh. Yeah. It's fucking weird. But I she grabs handfuls at a time, <laughs> like four or five separate times, and she's freaking out the whole time. It's like, yeah, this is very scary. It's too many times. But uh, it's too many times. Say it one, one or two times. Four or five times, that's too many times. That is Trailer Park Boys, SEO, putting a tag on the episode. <laughs> but... Jack comes around and confronts her and says, do you like it? Do you like, do you like it? And she's like, oh, God. I'm, they're, they're, she's basically hyperventilating, backing away from him, and he's coming towards her. Because she realizes he's fucking nuts. Yes. And, uh, God, next, the next scene, she's, like, got the bat, and she's telling him to get away. He's like, I'm not going to hurt you. Yeah. I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just going to bash your brains in. And it's like, holy, Jesus Christ, that's such a good... For as crazy as Nicholson is, he's a good actor when he's he's trying to be crazy. I guess I'm just off-put by how fucking insane he is throughout the entire movie. And it seems over the top, but that's exactly what it was supposed to be. I guess. I don't know. It's a horror movie. Yeah. Truly, I think his performance is so... In, it's so intense and so freaky. Yeah. There's one scene or one detail of this scene because he's screaming at her mm-hmm. and confronting her about how she had, you know, like, let's talk about Danny. You want to talk about Danny? What about me? What about everything I'm doing? I'm contractually obligated to be here. Have you ever thought of that yeah. for one second? And he's screaming all of this incoherent nonsense. And at times in the scene, we cut to Danny in his room just freaked out, and we hear Jack Nicholson's voice while we're looking at Danny's face. Yeah, yeah. And the voiceover has this reverberating double voice effect, and it's so much. It sounds like it's going through a like an aluminum tube or something. Like it's super reverberated, and I just appreciate it so much because I don't know, like if they thought, oh, this is so weird, but. Whenever you hear a person's voice be distorted to show that they are under the influence of a ghost or a devil. Yeah, or... like in any exorcism movie. Yeah, it's always just so many extra voices. Yeah. And it's so deep and evil and you're like, oh, that's really evil. That's scary. But for this one, it's just such a minor change that is so noticeable you know, it's it's not fucking his voice up with massive down pitching. It's it's so slightly different. It's just kind of watery. Yeah, that you're like, that's really unsettling. It's not what a human voice should sound like. And uh, I thought it was really effective at showing things are not all right. Oh, long job. Yes. Oh, darn piano. That, um... Why I eyes you that creepy pasta about the goat man. Oh yeah. Of a, it's, it's the writer described it as a cat speaking. Yeah. But oh, it's just ooh, it <laughs> makes the hairs um, on my neck stand up. Also, hashtag cute cats on YouTube. All right, so <laughs> she uses the bat and she knocks him out. 
because she has the high ground, Anakin. <laughs> Hashtag Star Wars. Um, <laughs> and she manages to drag him into the dry storage. Yeah. Keep, and... keep going. I was just talking for like 20 minutes straight. Just Oh, sure. Break. You weren't talking for 20 minutes straight. Okay. So she drags him into the dry storage. And this is when we hear Danny go, Red Rum. Yes. Red Rum. That is a really good Danny impression. That's not exactly like <laughs> And for some reason, Wendy is sleeping. <laughs> yeah. That is... <laughs> it's bananas. So, it's... <laughs> she puts him in the freezer. And he uh-huh. says, oh, check the snow cat and the radio. Right. You'll, you'll like we how skip, they are. We skipped over that. Yeah. He went through and he pulled some... 1970s tech out of those. Yeah, some mechanical bit that invalidates it, I guess. Just cut the cord, dude. Okay. So, so she's she knows fully well. She's trapped here. That she's trapped. She's fucked. Um, and we cut back to Jack in the dry storage freezer, whatever. And I really appreciated this. He's got like a package of Oreos, some yeah. peanut butter. He's just chilling out. He's just having a time. Full on snack attack. He is evil, but he still snacks. Yes. He's still human. <laughs> uh, so that's, um, if it was up to Jack, they would have eaten all those sirloins by now. Must be Wendy keeping it in control. Right. <laughs> also, all the Oreos would be gone if we were there. Oh, yeah. They there would not be last any. the first month. No, it's it's. They have to make it till May first. Yeah, his Oreos are gone. They're toast. Anyway, Jack gets out because Grady, the ghost, frees him. Ghost Grady. And Grady says, "You know, we kind of talked in the bathroom that you were gonna kill your wife and kids, and you didn't. What's up?" He's like, "Oh, I just want another chance to do that." He says, "Do you promise?" Jack says, "I promise." And then Grady springs him. God. So. Basically forcing him to agree to kill him. Okay. So he's out. He has an axe. And he goes up to their hotel room. And he goes, Wendy, I'm home. Which is crazy. And she runs off, as you should, with little Danny. And they get into the bathroom. And there's a tiny window in the bathroom. And she shoves Danny out successfully. So he's out in the snow. Uh, thankfully in what appears to be a woolen sweater, so no danger there, because wool is great. And she can't get through, which is crazy, because this woman's like twiggy. She's so tiny. And as soon as she get, as soon as you get your elbows, or elbows, God, your shoulders out, like that's the thickest part of you. Yeah. She should have been able to get out. Well, thickest part of a skinny woman. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she... Probably should have been able to escape, but, you know, we get the iconic scene of Jack bashing down yeah. the door. And, and her screaming off yeah. to the side. And her screaming is, I I think, really well acted. She's of course. very appropriately I terrified. Think she's a very good actor, actress, whatever. Yes. And it's so intense, like, the way they, fil- they follow the axe as it smacks against the door forward and back like that and it's just so quick and jarring yeah it's it's super intense and then the iconic line will you try to intimidate it um okay uh here's johnny how was that that's good now you now you impersonate it here's johnny 
That was good, too. Thank you. Yes, he sticks his face in the crack. Then he sticks his face in the crack. <laughs> That's me on a Saturday night, am I right, boys? Yo! And then they hear the snowcat show up. And this is a point made by this other podcast we listened to about this movie. But he's got the door bashed down. And we see that there must have been some cut. Because when he's hitting it with the axe and says, here's Johnny. There's one side of the door open. The snowcat arrives with Dick Halloran in it. And the door is almost completely bashed open. Both halves of the door. It's only connected by a thin little stick. And he turns around and leaves to go, like, hunt Dick. But he could have easily... <laughs> That's me on a Saturday night. <laughs> he could have easily just stuck around for literally two more axe swings and been in the bathroom and murdered Wendy. But he just leaves. Which is convenient, right. to say the least. Come on. Come on, Kubrick. Yeah. JK. JK, this movie is so good. Okay, so um, Dick comes in and he gets killed. Immediately. Immediately. He gets stabbed in the chest with the axe. And then Jack catches a glimpse of Danny out in the field because he moved. That kid has no idea how to be prey. Yeah. Don't move. Predator eyes are looking for movement. Yeah, he, he scooted, uh... and that was his downfall. So Jack starts chasing his son, which probably doesn't matter at this point, uh, to Jack that it's his son. And they end up in the hedge, and this is probably the iconic ending. Um, but Wendy comes across the body and screams about it. Yeah. And then we cut back to the... Hedge scene, and this is a really clever move on Danny's part. They're running through a whole bunch, and then he realizes he can hide away and cover some of his tracks. Mm-hmm. So he does that. He slips away, and it's like, oh, thank God. And um, we cut back to Wendy, and we get the iconic dream sequence in reality. Yeah, so she sees a bunch of ghosts, right? So, so she sees the... The one that's brought up all the time is the furry blowing the rich dude. (laughs) And she sees a gallery of skeletons that are all watching her. And then she runs around the corner and sees the elevators open up and shoot blood all over the hallway. So all of this stuff happens. She's running around looking for Danny. They're out in the maze. She doesn't know this. And it's just super crazy. All this shit is coming to reality. And this is a really good climax for a movie. Yeah. There's so it's like uh the first time you see Cabin in the Woods. Yes. And it's just like what the what the fuck? What, what is happening? What? <laughs> you know, just a continuous like this ladder of stress. Yeah. And it's so good. It's so effective because everything is laid out. Yeah. Like none of it's a, well there's like there's still surprises, which is the good thing about it, but there aren't any like there's nothing out of place. Yeah, even ghosts that you don't see, like the, you know, the furry giving the blowjob scene. Like, Stop saying furry. The, Were they furries back then? Did they have furries in the 80s? Well, I'm going to use modern terminology to describe older films. So, all this crazy shit. I mean, it's not just like all of a sudden things are bad. They've been things bad. Things have gotten progressively worse from yeah. minute one. And, and <laughs> it it's just this fever pitch. Yes. Of hell. It's like she's in hell. Yeah. The Overlook Hotel has turned into some level of Dante's Inferno. Yeah. Truly. And 
then uh, you know we it, it just is madness in the hotel. She gets outside and finds Danny, who has given Jack the slip with the the trick you mentioned, and they escape in the snowcat. Now they well uh, in Dick Halloran's snowcat. Yep. Uh, so they escape and Jack is running around completely Screaming. disoriented. Yeah. And he's bellowing. And I think this is another connection because it, it might be a stretch, but the way he's just screaming, he's disoriented, he's mm-hmm. slurred, he's stumbling. Yeah. I think it's another alcoholic thing oh. where, you know, the... On the rocks. Yeah. So the, the family... That's a joke because of ice. Ice. Ice joke. He's frozen. <laughs> so he's in the elements. So it makes sense in the context of the story. He'd be stumbling, screaming, disoriented because he's in a maze, yeah. freezing temperatures, he's lost. But in the context of the movie, he's, you know, he, he if, if we're looking at it as an alcoholic allegory, the family is totally destroyed. He has destroyed it and he is incoherent, stumbling, no control. So uh, I think it's kind of the culmination, like he is completely hammered. And it's the last straw, right? Like Jesus. Okay. And if you if you take that angle yeah. with it, it could also be he is literally possessed by demons and is trying to kill some. Yeah, I both seem valid at this point. Annie Hoosley, you wanna show us the last the very last scene as they were were left with the empty hotel here? No. No. Well okay. So the very last scene is uh it's all empty. We kind of go to the gold room, and it slowly zooms in on a photo from 1920-something, and he is at the front of the crowd welcoming you to the Overlook Hotel. Um, you forgot how he froze to death. Oh, yeah. It cuts him. <laughs> Thank you. Him in the morning just sitting there, stupid face, frozen yeah. dead. One thing, I, I don't know, because... We see the gold room twice in the movie before this. Mm-hmm. And both times it walks in and it's a mess. Well, three times because they get the tour. Mm-hmm. But uh, every time they walk in, it's a massive open place. And now this final time, the gold room sign is in the same place it has been for the prior two. Yeah. When he walks in and gets a drink. Yeah. But now there's a wall with a bunch of pictures blocking it off. It feels like a completely different room. And I don't know if that's just for the convenience of the movie or if it's to show that I think his... everything is intentional. Yeah, giving like... Kubrick's reputation. Reputation. So when he wa- when we see the last shot and it's a different room, same side, does that mean the other things are a projection of, you know, his madness, or is it you know changing things like that? It stood out to me. I don't know. But... I don't know. I don't. I don't know what it means. Anyhow. Uh, do you want to kind of tell your likes and dislikes? Yeah, sure. So I I like horror movies. I feel like horror movies historically get like this pass where they're not great pieces of film. Yeah. And I feel like nowadays, not nowadays, um, every now and again, you get these cinematic pieces like The Witch. Yeah. Or um, Hereditary. Yeah, or Midsummer. Even. Or Midsummer. Um, Ari Aster is yeah doing it well. <laughs> yeah. uh, the Babadook too. The Babadook. Uh, 
I can't really think of anything from the 90s. Like, that was all Scream and... And slashers and stuff. Yeah, yeah slashers. Which, which are classics, but... This wasn't really a slasher either. There was no. some... It was a lot of psychological stuff, and... I feel like what I would give this movie at face value versus your points of all these allegories are are different ratings. Like, as a horror movie, like, if I watch this purely as, like, I hope I get scared watching this, I, I didn't feel scared. I felt tense. Yeah. Um, what was, what's that movie where they're, The House? Haunted House? With the clowns? Clown House? Oh, um, Hell House. Hell House. Yeah. Like, that movie scared me. Yeah, that movie terrified me. That was a scary movie. I would not call this a scary movie. I would call this a movie with horrific elements. Yeah, it's like, it's a drama, pretty much. Yeah, it's more of a drama than a horror movie. And I... Don't know if I would like that out of a movie in 2020. I mean, because Hereditary genuinely got scared. Midsummer, That, you know, Midsummer might be a better modern example of what The Shining is meant to do. Yeah, and I feel like, like The Witch, that wasn't scary. There were some scenes where it was gross, but it was like so dreadful and... Dreadful! Yeah, so this feels like basically if A24 was producing movies... In, in 1980, yeah, they would have produced this. Movie. Yes, yes. So, for those reasons, I really liked it. Um, I think having the historical knowledge of how Stanley Kubrick treated um, Duvall, yeah, uh, it, it ruins a lot of it for me. So that that's probably my biggest negative. Like, what it took to make this movie wasn't necessary because it wasn't. It's it's a great piece of cinema. It's a great film. I would call it a film. Yeah. It's <laughs> horror movies, superhero movies. Do they deserve to be called film? I feel like this one does. Of course, I'm no critic. Uh, no formal critic. I can say uh, shit is good critic. or bad. I'm a rookie critic. Um, I'd call this shit good. Uh, <laughs> what, do you, what are your positives and negatives? Uh, positives? I mean, the all the performances were... Phenomenal. Mm, even the wooden boy. Yeah. Whether that be accidentally or on purpose, it worked really well. And the setting of the hotel, super uh, oppressive. They also have so much stuff to consider that is laid as groundwork early on. So mm-hmm. I feel like it's written with a lot of care. Mm-hmm. And negatives, some sound stuff I just hate. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's Fair. so much shrill noise that... There were multiple times we had to turn down the movie just because it was so shrill. And also, like you point out, did was the the basic like was the torture of filming it necessary? Probably not. You know, I bet you could have gotten a real good performance uh, without mentally abusing people. And also negatives, I guess. I don't know. I I don't have all that much to detract from it, but. Yeah. Do you want to give a rating on three? Sure. One, two, three, eight, eight. and a half. Oh, I'll go eight. Eight point two five? Nah. Eight and see. a half? I'll do eight and a half. I'll uh, come up. You'll come up? Yeah. Especially I've... given like how culty this movie is. Like, I don't know if people are reading too much into it or they're reading the right amount, but I think with those lenses, I feel like this movie is pretty deep it's deeper than an eight but it's not quite a nine yeah i feel like you could really watch it with like the main thing that i was looking at it with was 
alcoholism. Mm -hmm. But like you said, with feminism and also the other main theory is Native American genocide. There's a lot of different ways you can watch it. And I'm sure every time you watch it, if you get those other theories out of your head and just think about the one theory that you're watching it for at that point, I bet a lot more comes to light or is worth considering. So, yeah, yeah, uh, eight and a half. Thanks for coming up to meet me. Um, But, yeah, thanks for listening. Tweet us at RC... No, RMR... Underscore podcast. (laughs) RMR underscore podcast. Uh, RookieMovieReviews.com or RookieMovieReview at gmail.com. Yep. If you are the owner of Rookie Movie (laughs) Reviews, uh, contact us. We'd like to talk. Yes. Cool. Thanks for listening. If you listened. Bye-bye. Bye.